You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. My name's David Frizzell and my guest in this episode is Colleen Callender. Colleen forged a career in the tough retail trade, culminating in 13 years of CEO of iconic Aussie brands Suzanne and Sports Girl. During this time, she crafted a clear and articulate philosophy about leading people, doing the busy life, career juggle, and the important role women can play in developing healthy, thriving workplaces. And she's right here to tell us all about it. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Colleen Callender. Colleen Callender, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here with you. It's a pleasure to have you, Colleen. You have such an interesting story. You finished school at 16 and went on to become one of the big wigs in the Australian retail scene. You spent a total of 13 years as CEO of Suzanne and Sports Girl. And as you look back on that career, what were some of the moments that really helped you on that remarkable journey? Yeah, it's a great question. I think there were so many different moments, I would say, David, but I think the big career moment for me was someone believing in me. And I remember the day the area manager came down to the Geelong store, which was where I started my career and offered me my first managerial role. And I was only 18 years of age. And for a moment, I had this excitement running through my body. And then all of a sudden, I stopped and I had this self-doubt and self-sabotage started coming into my mind. And the words she said to me have stuck with me my whole life. And they were, Cole, I believe in you. And now you need to believe in yourself. And so that really had, it really resonated with me. And it's something that I've really tried to do and emulate that behavior throughout my career where I've really made sure that I uh, you know, want people to know that I believe in them because that moment was a real turning point for me. You know, I read in your book that you, at 16, you decided to finish school before you had graduated grade 12. And you mm-hmm. did that so that you could work on the shop floor at a Just Jeans store, if my memory serves me correctly. What a risk to take. Do you remember going to your parents and telling them that you wanted to quit school at 16 so you could work? at Just Jeans. And and how aware are you of the fact that you're a real rarity? I mean, most people who finish school at 16 don't go on to become a CEO at in iconic Australian brands, but you did. Did you feel like that was a risk at the time? And do you ever look back in, on that decision and go, oh my God, I'm so lucky the way things worked out? Yeah, I absolutely do. I, I have to say, and at the time I didn't realize that I just loved what I did. The minute I walked into that Just Jean store at 16, I loved it. And I took every single shift over summer. And when I did go home that day, I I was offered a, a role, permanent role with them. I was as a, so excited to tell my parents that I was, you know, going to finish school. I was, you know, I had this job and I was so excited and I was going to be a sales assistant, but I had potential. And in that moment, my heart sank because I knew uh, that they hadn't had an education. You know, my, both my parents hadn't finished school and they'd worked really hard to put me and my brother and sister through school. And here I was about to shatter all their dreams and say to them, I'm not going to finish school. I'm actually 
you know, going to work on the shop floor, but I've got this potential that they keep talking about. And I actually look back on that now, David, and I think, wow, I was just this young kid, but I was really passionate about what I did. And my parents in that moment, I could see that the disappointment in their eyes. But what they said to me, again, stuck with me for my whole life, which was work hard, be passionate, love what you do and never give up. And that was what I applied to every single aspect of my life. And I still do today. And so I think that's what really served me well is those foundations of, you know, my family upbringing and, and those words that they said to me. Work hard, love what you do and never give up. That's a beautiful mantra. Colleen, hey, you said that at a very early age, your area manager came to you and said, look, I see a lot of potential in you. And that's what motivated you to leave school and, and seek a full-time career in the retail sector. What do you think she saw in you or he saw in you? What was that potential that people talk about? What were those characteristics mm -hmm. that took you from selling jeans on the shop floor to eventually running the show? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the big things, David, is that I always saw potential in other people as well. So, you know, I never, ever looked at any part of my career and said, this is about me. I always looked at every part of my career and said, this is about the people around me. And whether it be awards I received or accolades I had or acknowledgements, I would always stand up and say, this is actually not mine. This is actually for the people who have actually come on this journey with me. And I think that was just, I realized that from a very, very young age that, you know, people were what really made successful organizations. People were what made successful businesses. And so I really invested my time in people. And I actually didn't even realize I was doing that at the time. But I think that was really, that, that's been my recipe for success is that I have believed in the people around me and I've always acknowledged the people around me for the success that I've had. And that's a very a strong theme that comes through in your book, the emphasis that you place on the people that you work with, the people that you lead mm -hmm. right through your career. That's a, it's a really well-structured and well-expressed theme in your book, as I say. Hey, you know, one thing I have wondered as I, as I read through your book and, and got to know your story a little bit was about the burden of responsibility that comes with leading such iconic brands. I mean, I've never shopped at Suzanne or Sports Girl, but I grew up with a sister who did, and it's been around me my whole life. And I know that it, it, it has that iconic status within the Australian retail landscape. Was that a burden for you? Did you carry that heavily or was it a, a real joy and a privilege? Where did it sit? Mm, I did carry it, but it was a real joy and privilege. And something I'm, I'm still so very proud of. And, and they were both iconic brands, both Suzanne and Sports Girl. And as you said, whether you've shopped there, you know, someone's sister or mother or daughter, it is both of them are brands that just go across so many different generations. So for me, it was an absolute privilege. And I really took that privilege very seriously, not just the emphasis around people, but also the emphasis around protecting those brands. Both brands had a very strong DNA. And if I think about sports girl, because that's where I spent, you know, set most of my CEO career, you know, I was very protective of that brand, as were the team around me, because I think that was really the key. The sports girl brand's over 70 years old. A lot of people don't realize that. And I always say brands are only going to be successful and iconic if they're led that way, because we've seen a lot of great iconic brands be destroyed over, you know, time and many years. So I was very protective of the brand and the DNA, I have to say. 
So what does that mean? I'm not someone who understands brand well, you know, only as a consumer. I've never been in marketing and or, or done much reading on the topic. When you talk about wanting to protect a brand, what are the core components of doing that? What are you thinking of structurally as a leader in that organization? The first thing that comes to mind for me, David, the values of the brand, because values are how we make decisions. It's how we behave. And so there are you know, a, a lot of organizations that don't have strong values. And I think that's the foundation of being a great brand. So all of the decisions that happen in that business were based on those values. And whether that be you know, very clear around the spirit, the culture, the kindness, you know, a lot of brands will say yes to everything if we can make a dollar. Of course, money is so important. You know, we need to run profitable businesses, but sometimes we have to say no. Sometimes we have to turn things away as well. You know, our product offering was really key. Our quality was really key. The way we engaged in stores were really key. So I think there's so many different components to being a successful brand today. I think one of the biggest ones for me, David, was that brands that are going to be successful are the ones that connect with their customer on a much deeper level. And so Sports Girl wasn't a brand that I just wanted to sell stuff. Sports Girl was a brand that we wanted to connect with the consumer on a much deeper level, which means you understand her fears, her frustrations, her desires. You really understand the way she lives her life. And I think that was a really big part of protecting the brand and a really big part of the success of the brand. You said one of the important things is saying no. What did you say no to? Do you have any memories through your time leading that organization that stands out as something that was tempting in some way, whether financially or convenience wise, but you knew it was the right thing to say no and you look back on that and think, great decision? Mm. Yeah, I think often product categories, you know, do we want to add another product range? You know, sometimes it was no because it wouldn't fit the space. Sometimes it was no because it didn't fit the client, you know, the customer. Sometimes it was no because we were stretching people too far and I didn't want people to fail. So often they were some of the decisions that I would say no to. You know, the other thing is the way windows look, you know, we, we have to be very diligent around what we put in windows, the way we express our brand the sort of shots we put in windows, you know, there really has to be a very strong consistency with brands if you want people to connect with your brand across a long period of time. So, um, you know, all of those triggers are really important triggers to be able to say yes or no to in organisations and strong brands. Hey, you know what, I asked you earlier about some of the characteristics that you have that people saw potential in. Is that idea of knowing what looks good and understanding what works for our customers and and what we should say yes to and what we should say no to and what a shopfront window should look like. Do you think that was inherently within you? Did you have a a gift or a a developed talent for that in the very early days? Hmm. I think just it wasn't something I'd obviously studied at school or, or gone to university. I think I just had this very sort of strong intuition about, you know, what looked good, what didn't look good. You know, I always say we can have an eye for things. And, you know, I think I always had a great eye for for stores and layouts and product and merchandising. But I also surrounded myself with people that were better than me in those things. You know, I always say surround yourself with incredible, talented people that are experts in their field and then let them be experts. You know, we again, we see far too often that people hiring great people, but then they don't allow them to do their job. They don't allow them to be experts in their field. So I would say I'm not an expert in any of it. 
but I hired the experts to do the job. I was What I was was a great leader and a great visionary. And I think that's, again, what leaders need to be. They need to be people that people choose to follow because they believe in the vision. They believe in them. And again, you know, vision is something I'm very passionate about, but a vision is only great if people want to follow the leader because people follow a leader first and a vision second. So it doesn't matter how great your vision is, if you're not a leader people choose to follow, then you are not going to succeed. So really important to hire great people, but then let them do their jobs. Jeez, you've ex- expressed very beautifully there some of the most important tenets of leadership and that one that you finished off with that the idea of hiring people who are talented and very good at what they do, but then letting them do that, letting them be the expert and and you as a leader, you know, knowing when to follow and when to lean on other people's expertise. It's, it's very mature leadership. And I know that everyone listening has various experiences with when that has or hasn't happened through their career and when we as leaders either succeed or fail in doing that. And it's, a, it's an excellent reminder that that's one of the great challenges of leadership. Hey, your, your story is fabulous, Colleen, and it's one of success, you know, from the shop floor to the CEO's chair. I love that part of it, but it hasn't always been plain sailing. You write in your book about the day you fell through the front door at home and told your husband that I just can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. You've had periods that you describe as burnout. Tell us about those times in your career and the lessons that you took from it. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. It was 2007 and it was a really big year for me. I was acting general manager at Sports Girl at the time. I had three young children and I'd been driving that red Ferrari at the fastest speed I could go. And I described myself in my book as a red Ferrari, but I'd forgotten, David, to put petrol in the tank. I hadn't pumped up the tyres. I hadn't pulled into the pits for for a bit of a pit stop. I just kept going and going and going faster and faster and faster until I couldn't do it anymore. And I remember it, you know, like yesterday, I walked through that door and I said to my husband, I'm done. And I'm a little bit black and white in the way I sort of look at things too. So I I said to him, I can't do this anymore. It's not that I don't love my job. I'm, And I was in tears and I was a mess and I couldn't even get the words out. And, you know, I, I was in all sorts. And I said to him, I just can't do it anymore. And I've got an awesome husband. And he said, well, don't. You know, your health is not worth this. So don't. So we had a you know big conversation. We were going to change our lifestyle. We were going to move down to Sorrento. And you know, we had all of these plans that we built in 24 hours. And I walked in the next door to, uh, in the, I walked in the next day to resign. And lucky for me, I got talked out of that idea. They wouldn't let me resign. They said, <laughs> Cole, what, what do we need to do? And so I actually took three and a half months off and I put the red Ferrari in wow. for a very well overdue service. And I really learned, David, to live my life differently. And, you know, I had to build in self-care. I had to build in boundaries. I had to put structure into my life, all things that, you know, did not, I wasn't used to. It just wasn't the way I lived my life. So, but I talk about burnout being a real gift because I, as I said, it taught me to live differently. And so today I live and I have for the last 10 plus years live this life of a, you know, very busy life, lots of things on my plate lots of projects on the go at one time, but I've done that without burnout. And there are far too many people right now that are on that train to burnout town. We really need to help them get off that train. Do you want team and leadership development programs that actually work? Contact Team Guru today so we can start the conversation. 
your fertile ground though you talked about burnout being a gift because you learned from it and you move forward and your life's even even richer because of it but a lot of people don't have that kind of gift of resilience and ability to reflect on experiences and extract lessons from it like you do you know you were as i say fertile ground so you've you've done a very good job of that and and that's something again that we can all remember in our life that the difficult times as difficult as they are are there to give us some lessons and and so that we can come out the other end cliche alert stronger and wiser for it and and move forward more positively I, I love the lessons you've extracted hey Colleen you know during this podcast that I've been doing for quite a long time now and the number of books that I've read along the way one of the things that I'm starting to understand is that people who are successful in life, and I don't mean people who are rich, I mean people who are satisfied in, in all the parts of their life, they, they have success, whether it's in their career or intellectually or physically or family relationships, they almost live by rules. Over the difficult periods and the, the experiences they've had, success and failure, they've come up with a set of rules that they live their life by. Do you relate to that idea of living by rules? And if you do, what are yours? Mm. Yeah, it's a great one. And I, I actually do. I talk about leadership, but I also talk about leading in our own lives. So it doesn't matter where you are on that scale. We have to be leading in our own lives first. And I talk about 70% of leadership, whether it be in our own lives or business or wherever, 70% of leadership is about the way we lead ourselves. And that means having structures and boundaries. That means having disciplines and rules. That means having goals. That means also the way we face, you know, negativity, you know, how we react, what sort of mindset we have. So absolutely, I have a lot of boundaries and structure in my life today that I didn't have uh, when I hit burnout. You know, I have very certain times when I get up and when I go to bed and what I do first thing in the morning and but I do think successful leadership is around structure and disciplines, but not, as I said, not just in leadership, as in leading others, but leading ourselves. So true. You know, we could do, we could speak for hours on the importance of leaders leading themselves first. And as listeners to this podcast have heard me say many times, I think that's the great forgotten about leadership. We, we think about leadership all too often as attention out Whereas it's got to start with attention in. And we all know that the most impressive people we have followed, the most impressive people we've seen in our lives as leaders are exactly that. They're impressive people. They're not just good at work. They are good communicators. They've got their life in order. They're calm and measured. They have a way about them that says that they're in control of things because they've led themselves first. And I'm very passionate about that. And one of the things that frustrates me is the idea that leadership or, or management development always starts with how I delegate and how I share my vision or communicate my vision and all of those things which are very important. But half of leadership at the very least, and I think you said 70% of leadership is about leading yourself. You're absolutely preaching to the converted here, Colleen. Hey, Colleen, yours is a, a fantastic story. You can hear the enthusiasm I have for it. And is it though, when you tell your story, is it the story of starting at an entry level job and becoming the boss? Or is it the story of managing the causes and symptoms of burnout? Or is it the story of person-centered leadership, which you speak about so passionately and you write about so passionately? Or, or perhaps it's the story of a female corporate empowerment. What is your story? 
I love all of those. They're ticking all of my boxes, I have to say. It is really all of those, David. There are so many different layers to my story. There are so many different layers to all of our stories. You know, we don't just have one storyline, and I believe everyone has an incredible story to tell. But it is that. It is starting at 16, believing in myself, having someone believe in me, working hard, being passionate, never giving up, all of those things, you know, my father said to me. But it is also part of empowering other women, you know, through my story, which is burnout, which is building confidence. You know, I believe all roads lead to confidence and we have to be building confidence in ourselves and we have to be building confidence in each other. You know, I'm very proud of the fact that I was part of the 20% club. And I talk about that in my book. I'm one of the 20% of CEOs that are females in this country. Now, that's, as I said, something I'm very proud of, but it's a number that really concerns me as well, David, is that we don't have enough female leaders in this country. In fact, we don't have enough great leadership in this country. And I think it's because we have such an imbalance of leadership. So for me, my story, I really want to inspire and empower women to step up and have a voice and find their purpose and you know, build that confidence, real confidence, not the fake stuff, build real confidence that allows us to ask for that pay rise, to put our hand up for that promotion, to question that decision, to challenge the status quo. I'm very, very passionate about that. And if I can help one person do that and through my mentoring program, I help hundreds. But if I can help women build that confidence to do that, we are going to start to see some of those numbers change and we are going to encourage more women to get into leadership roles. I'm glad you mentioned your mentoring program. I was going to ask you about that. I know that when you stepped down from your role as a CEO, you took some time out to write a book. And I think you wrote, you wrote in your book, or I've read somewhere, that you're busier now than you ever were even as a CEO. You've taken some time to write a book and start this mentoring program, which I can hear the passion through your writing about it. Tell me about working with young women who are trying to make their way in their chosen industry. What have you observed? What are the biggest mistakes that women go into their careers with, whether it's you know mistakes, false assumptions, mythical barriers, whatever it might be that, that you observe? If you had that magic wand, what would you change? What would you teach people or, or embed into the brains of the young people you work with? It's a really, really awesome question. And I wish I had all of the answers. I don't have, but I'm trying to find them as I navigate through this next chapter of my life and really support women. I think the big one is building confidence. As I said, David, I think that, you know, we, there is this lack of confidence because we often compare ourselves to other people, whether that be their lives, their appearance, their success. You know, we really have to start to build this confidence. I talk about confidence as a muscle. And the more we use it, the stronger that muscle is going to get for us. And as I said, it's not about trying to be the smartest person in the room. It's not about being extroverted because you think that's what people want to see in confident people. You know, there are so many myths around confidence that we need to actually, you know, challenge and share. You know, we are not born with confidence. No one is born with confidence. It's something that we develop as we live our lives and experience and fall over and pick ourselves up. So, I think the biggest thing is to help women understand some of these myths. You know, we look at people that are extrovert and say, oh, they must have been born confident. Not true. You can be an introvert with strong values and be just as confident as an extrovert. So I think it's breaking down a lot of these barriers and really giving women the skills to build that confidence. The more we build it, 
the stronger we are going to become and the more we are going to build each other up and lift each other up. It's a big world out there. We don't need to compete against anyone. I don't compete against anyone. The only race I'm running is against myself. And I think that we really need to look at life a little bit differently like that. Hey, Colin, you, when you talk about confidence, I, I, again, I, I love that. You hit so many really important notes about personal development and leadership. And when I think about confidence, I think about the way people speak because that's one of the, the most observable things that we have about each other. Of course, appearance is very important and we know that. We know that ourselves if we're honest about our biases. We know that through studies that we've read and, and common knowledge through the leadership circles. Uh, you present yourself beautifully, and I'm sure that's part of your success, especially in your industry. But the other thing that you do very well, and I don't know if you realize this, is you speak incredibly well. When I'm doing a podcast with someone, I'm listening for you know beginning a sentence and, and having to change path or saying um or ah a lot, or even the tone of the voice. I mean, you, you're impeccable in that way. And I'm on this little theory that the way that we speak, the way that the words actually come out of our mouth is super important because we do it when we're having personal interactions. We do it in meetings, large and small. We do it in all sorts of settings. And I, I think people know that, but it's not given it as much weight as I think it has in our subconscious. What do you think about that? I would agree with that. I think that also comes back to, David, when you're authentic. I think, you know, when I talk to whether it be women or on podcasts or in any sort of setting, when I'm talking, it's coming from right inside me. It's coming from my heart. And I think that when you talk with that authenticity, I think that's where you really come across as being believable and people will say you're a great speaker. But really what's happening is people are connecting with you. They're connecting with your words. They're connecting with your honest truth. And that's always been a big part of who I am is being truthful, being honest, having great integrity and yeah, always, you know, speaking my truth, I think has always been very, very important to me. Colleen, I could chat with you for hours. It's very enjoyable, but we have to bring this to an end or otherwise we'll lose listeners. You know, people listen to a podcast for about 45 minutes, apparently that's the, that's the limit. So I, I try and keep it under that. Now, someone who's listening and has no doubt been enthralled by your story and your success and the, the things that are important to you, what can you leave us with? What are three pieces of wisdom or nuggets of gold that we can remember tomorrow and next week so that the story of Colleen has value in our life? Mm, it's a great one. I think the first one would be believe in yourself, really believe in yourself because you can do, be and achieve anything you want to be if you're willing to put in the work. It doesn't come easily, but when we believe in ourselves and put in the work, we can break through glass ceilings. We can achieve incredible things. So that would be the first one. I think the second one would be don't try and be perfect because perfection just doesn't exist. Now, that doesn't mean we don't strive for excellence. Of course, we should. And that's what I get up to do every day, no matter what it is I'm doing. But I now today don't strive to be perfect because striving for perfection for me just led, led to burnout. So don't try and be perfect. Just do your absolute best and give everything your best. It's going to be good enough again. And that's the second one. Hang on. Before you move on, Colleen, I don't want to forget my questions. I love both of those. And, and I'm going to come back to your third in a minute. The idea of believing in yourself, you know, that's so, so true. It's so positive. 
But there are people in our society, there, are, there might be people listening to this podcast right now who are just thinking, that's, that's easy for you to say, Colleen, with all the success that you've had. But what about where I am now? I, I'd love to believe in myself, but I just don't have a lot to believe in. You know, I, I haven't achieved much. I feel like my career hasn't progressed the way it should. I feel like there's a lot of competition around me. And when, there are, when I look around me, there are people who are more impressive than I am. What do you tell to people who are struggling with that self-belief? What are the tips that you have inside that little lesson? Mm. It's a really great question, David. I think the first thing is we have to put in the work. So that's the number one thing. You know, a lot of people will say some of those things, but then they're not willing to put in the work to get there. I think that's one of them. The other one is, you know, confidence is contagious. So we do need to surround ourselves with confident people and positive people because that helps bring our positivity and confidence up, definitely. I think we also have to change that inner critic. You know, we all have this inner critic. And the first thing that happens is we go to, I'm not good enough. I'm not fast enough. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not smart enough. Someone else is better than me. It is naturally how we sort of look at things and particularly women self-sabotage a lot. So we need to change the narrative. We need to change that story and create a much more empowering story for ourselves because we have the worst inner critic. It's us. So really, when you do get to that point where you are questioning, stop and ask yourself, is this story I'm telling myself really true? And often it's not. So we need to change the story and make it one that is much more empowering, that allows us to then take action and put in that hard work. That brilliant answer, by the way. And and in your two tips so far, your two nuggets, you remind me of a million podcasts I've done with other great guests. But the first one is with a guy called Jamin Fraser, who I did just a little while ago. He talks about being unhindered by our insecurities. And and you've touched on that there. Really, and, and you use the same word that he uses, really looking at the story that we tell ourselves and, and ponder where it comes from, because that's really important. And your second tip was don't strive for perfection. And that reminds me of an episode I did quite a long time ago with Lynn Kazaley. She wrote a fantastic book called Ish. And the idea is it's goodish, you know, it's enough ish rather than slaving over perfection. Because we, we know that ambitious people can get bogged down in trying to do everything perfectly. I've got a little habit that I like to mention when we talk about striving for perfection that I, it's like a, an addiction that I can't get rid of. You know, audio, I, when I record audio, this little thing that bugs me, and that's the breath that people take in between words. So I spend a lot of time going through audio, can you believe, removing the breath from between words, just silencing that. And I know that there's about 0.01% of people listening who even hear that. But for some reason, it drives me crazy. And the hours it adds on to little projects that I do is ridiculous. So you're a good reminder to me that we don't need to strive for perfection. For those few people who are hearing it, it's probably not going to bug them anyway. And it's certainly not worth the couple of hours it takes me to go through a piece of audio and remove it. So they're two really great tips. Believe in yourself. Don't strive for perfection. And I very rudely interrupted you. What's the third one? No, that's okay. That was great conversation. The third one I would say, David, is kindness is a superpower. And I think what the last 18 months has taught us is that we really need to be kind. And kindness is one of my values. It's the way I've led. It's the way I live my life. But it's not the first word that comes to mind for leaders. And so I really challenge that. And I really want us to create a world where 
we have kind leadership. And that doesn't mean that people can fly under the radar, there are no boundaries, there are no rules, you know, we can do whatever we like. Kind leadership means that we have honest discussions with people. Kind leadership means we hold people accountable. Kind leadership, that means that we give this honest feedback and set really clear expectations for people. So kindness costs us nothing. And it is one of the greatest gifts you can give to another human being. So be kind to others, but also be kind to yourself. It's really important. I can't think of a better way to end it, Colleen. I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and I can't thank you enough for coming on the Team Guru podcast. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, David. It's been wonderful to chat. And that was Colleen Callender. It's not hard to see why she had such a successful corporate career. And I love those top three tips. Number one, believe in yourself. Number two, don't strive for perfection. And number three, be kind. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Colleen on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teams with an S dot guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud or LinkedIn and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now. Thank you.